Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch. This is Webinars with Wendy. I'm doing a series of webinars where I talk to really interesting horse people. I like to keep trying to bring different people to you and introduce you to different ideas. One of the things that's been really great is the feedback from you, my audience, telling me how much not only that you enjoy the content that we're presenting here, but also how much it's helped you with your horse. So if you have a story about how these webinars have helped you and your horse, you can either email it to me at wendy at wendymurdoch.com or post it on my Facebook business page, Murdoch Method, and let us know how the webinars have made a difference for you. That will help me keep going. Because sometimes, you know, it's like, I think we're up to like 240 at this point. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> um, fortunately, it's, it's a much less anxiety producing. In the beginning, it was like trying to get all this organized, but we do seem to have a system that works really well. And my assistant, Alex, is great. She helps me with my guests, just making contact with them. So, um, but please let us know if there's something from the webinars that has really made a difference in your life. We'd love to hear from you. So you can email me at wendy at wendymurdoch.com, go to my Facebook page, Murdoch Method, and just put up a post and let us know. Today, my guest is Melissa Deal, and she is going to talk to us about positive reinforcement training. So welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, everybody. I'm thrilled to be here. So, Melissa, tell us a little bit about you and, you know, how, how I always like to know how my guests wind up doing the things they're doing, like um, uh, whether or not you had horses in your life as a kid or what's your story? Okay, but first, I just have to say that I am so excited to have met you a couple of years ago, I guess a couple of seasons ago now in Wellington. And we had so much fun going from lesson to lesson. And I was watching you give all these amazing insights to these top international riders and stuff. So that was really exciting. But a fascinating part of that was Surefoot, right? Because I'd never seen the pads used in real life. And it's very different being there in person with you than watching it, you know, on, on YouTube and stuff. And and that was really neat. And after we did that, uh, we, you know, we used the surefoot, the surefoot pads with several horses. Then I had the owners actually reach out to me a couple of days later and say, hey, would you come back, right? And let's do this together. And we used some positive reinforcement just to get the horses used to stepping up on the pads. You know, we didn't try to keep them on the pads with it or anything, but there was one in particular that was super afraid. And so that was a really neat combination. But um, a lot of my compassionate horse click online course members and coaching students are using the Surefoot pads. Awesome. We're getting rave reviews from them. I have several veterinarians who are using them. So I just want to say, I think they're incredible. And I, I really do appreciate being able to have that opportunity and, and work with you there. Well, that's fabulous. Thank you so much for that. You know, it's, it's always nice to get feedback from, from people who are out there in the field and using Surefoot. So that's fantastic. That's incredible. It's incredible. Every time I see it, I even have people that are cheap and tried to like do something different. And they're, that's how good it works though, is that, <laughs> that people who can't or are just too cheap to buy the real thing are trying to, to mimic it with something else. So that definitely works and makes a difference because people are out there doing it. So awesome. appreciate that contribution that you've made to our world. That's for sure. But um, to get back to your question, kind of how I got where I am today, I totally came from a traditional training background. I grew up doing hunters um, and, and Western, actually, believe it or not, lots of trail riding, did my undergraduate work at North Carolina State. And there we did everything from halter horses to showmanship, to competitive judging, and did was certified in judging all kinds of different seats and different things like that. And then progressed from there to graduate school where I got really involved with um, equine physiology, but also dressage. 
And so that became my burning passion. And as you know, of course, back then there was very little positive reinforcement going on in any of that. And I was in love with it. I was, I was completely in love with it. I worked for Olympians, with Olympians, rode for Olympians and all of that. And in the background of all that was my dad saying, I think you're going to be a positive reinforcement trainer. This is so you, you don't want to hurt anything. You love animals. And I, of course, was in my twenties and I knew everything then. <laughs> everything. And I remember angrily saying to him, I am a professional and I will never feed from hand and turning on my heel and walking out, leaving him open mouth, just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And so I can't get a horse person. He was not, but he was a dad in the wool supporter of me. And so he went to every horse show with his little beach chair because we live near the beach. And he would be there with his rag in his pocket and his crop in the other pocket, sleeping in his beach chair beside the ring, waiting on me to get out all my life. Right. So he was, <laughs> he was a big supporter and he knew that I had a super kind heart. And I can never remember him saying as he watched me one day, I was riding a horse traditionally and I was so afraid that the horse wasn't going to get to be what the owners wanted it to be quickly enough and that they were going to abuse it. And so I got kind of really tough on it and kind of firmed up. And I can remember him standing beside the ring and shaking his head and saying, my, how times have changed. And he walked away. And at the time it took me, you know, a few days for the impact of that to really sink in. But I think that was probably where I started to kind of have, have a heart shift back to maybe where I came from originally. You know, I think as all of us as children, when we get involved with horses, we get involved with the love of it and the, and the like of it and the fun of it and the connection and all of that. And then when we get older and we're judged by other people and our human agenda get involved, things, things can really change. So, so that was kind of how that happened. And then um, I met so this. So he was kind of like your conscience. Yes. He was a, he was very much in the back of my head then and is now. So, uh, so he's still alive. He is not. No, he is not. And that was a huge foreshadowing though. I didn't know it at the time. Right. And so, um, right after he passed away, my husband and I were looking for a new horse for me to ride. I was looking for maybe an Olympic level horse. And somebody called me and said, Hey, I saw this great international horse. He's in big trouble behaviorally. I think he could be your international horse. You could get him fixed. And so he was at some fancy clinic with Colonel Cards people. And, and so I went to see him and I couldn't even see him be ridden because he could just sit on his hind legs the whole time. They could never get him away from the block in the mounting block because he just wow. reared. And I was to credit to his trainer because she never fell off. Um, and I finally was able to get on him, not at the block, just bareback and walk him around a little bit. But that was the most, you know, that I tried to do. And, and so I got off and tried to buy him. And the people wanted an incredible amount of money. My, my husband was like, we're not in the business of paying incredible amounts of money to save horses. And so we walked away and I tried and tried and couldn't work anything out. But the universe would have it that this horse landed back in my barn, in my lap. He was given to me because he was so unreliable and such a behavior problem that, that after flunking out of multiple international trainers, both horsemanship people, excellent ones, and dressage trainers, he just wasn't reliable and he was dangerous. So I ended up with him somehow. Um, and fate, I guess, would have it. <laughs> but it was, it was meant to be. It was meant to be because this horse changed my life. And hopefully after you hear this story today, it's going to change yours tour too. Um, he's a very special redhead. And he... he came to us and, and was just immediately, I was like, something's wrong. And so we ended up having him diagnosed as a wobbler. He, he had a, um, a Seattle slough basket put in his neck after we got him and it was pressing, you know, his vertebrae pressing down on the spinal cord. And so we thought, oh, well, we'll have this fixed and then he'll be okay. 
turns out he came back, he was more afraid, more dangerous than ever. Right. And so I was desperate. I was like, what am I going to do here? Because I had veterinarians recommended that we put him to sleep because he was so dangerous. And I was, I tried everything. I tried drugs. I tried traditional training. I tried herbs. I tried supplements. I mean, I tried everything that I could think of to save him from being euthanized. So let's, let's talk about this surgery a little, cause I'm not sure everybody knows what a basket surgery okay. is. So can you describe where the problem was in his neck and how this is supposed to solve it? Yes. Yeah, so, so the vertebrae were were falling down essentially on his spinal cord and putting pressure on his spinal cord. In other words, they weren't staying in alignment. Right. And they were pressing down and his father had been so bad, but I didn't know this at the time mm. that he got down in a stall and they couldn't get him up. I, I had no idea. Right. But, but when that happened, we said, where's the best place to take him? And Dr. Coles of Blue Ridge um, Equine in Virginia said, take him to Ruth Riddle. And so we did. And they insert a metal cage, basically a, a mesh into his neck to keep that vertebrae from dropping down and pressing down anymore on his spinal cord. And it is it it's not a result of a, a muscle maker. If I understand it right, and this is where I don't have a lot of experience with this, but the lamellar part of the nuchal ligament isn't really supporting that part of the neck to keep it in alignment. Or is it, you know, in other words, what causes that? Okay, so I, I don't know the answer to that question because back then at that point, we, we didn't talk a lot about the ligament stuff. Okay. But what I do know is that it's kind of a combination of things. Um, this horse is a delicately made horse and he was ridden in roll cur a ton, right? Mm -hmm. And so they tried to get him ready for a five-year-old FEI horse and, you know, to be on internationally competitive and, and he basically got blown up, right? He was just worked too hard, too fast, too round, too deep. And then on top of that, his father had similar build, went through the same kind of training. And so I think there's a genetic component there as well, right? I think the way the neck is made is very delicate. And then really being forced into a frame right. tends to put that pressure on that one spot in the spine. Got it. Okay, great. And so this basket's supposed to keep the neck aligned and supported so it doesn't press on the spinal cord. Yes. And or so- Keep it from getting worse for sure. Right. So post-surgery, no improvement in behavior. Right. Worse. Insane. Like I called them and I was like, this horse is sometimes so afraid he can't drink water. Right. Like, what do I do? Yeah. The same bucket, the same trough you would drink out of every day. And you're like, oh, I can't do it. Right. And they, they said, well, actually, sometimes they do come out of the surgery, you know, really discombobulated. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I thought he was going to be better. So. I, I didn't know what to do. And I was, I was um, rattling one of my friends cage kind of help me, help me. And she kept saying it was Linda Hoover. And she kept saying, you need to come see positive reinforcement. And of course I was like, I'll never hand feed. No. <laughs> right. But finally, you know, at the end of my robe, I said, okay. And very reluctantly, I went to her place and met Shauna Karish. And um, at the end of the day, I, I, I sat in the back, like a little kid and rolled my eyes and played with my friends and was like, I'll never do this. Right. But by the end of the day, I was like, I, I need this. She, she has something here that I need. The transformations were just incredible from dressage riders to, to ponies that were trying to kill people literally when they got off the trailer. It was incredible. So at the end of the day, I met with her and um, I, I started working with her regularly and I joined connection training and I actually began working not only with her, but for her and not only with connection yeah. training, but, but for connection training and became a certified coach through connection training, which I still am today. So that was a huge step, right? 
But of course, it takes time to learn how to do these things. And, and I've wandered my way through it in the beginning a little bit because I didn't get enough help early on. And, and then once I realized, hey, I can't do this on my own. There's people who have done this before that know what they're doing. Things progress much more quickly. And so can you just tell people, because I know who Suzanne is, but just for those who don't know who she is. Okay. So Shauna Akaris is one of the people that brought positive reinforcement to the horse training world. She came from a SeaWorld background. Right. where they trained marine mammals and, and sea otters and all the things, right, with uh, positive reinforcement. And so she married Vinton Karish, who was a show jumper, and they together brought positive reinforcement kind of to the forefront for a lot of sport horses. And, you know, I mean, I've, I used to go down to Florida and work with uh, a whole group of veterinarians. Some of them worked for uh, some of the different... Um, entertainment centers down there, you know, like Disney and that sort of thing. And it, and it's always so interesting when I go there because the circle that I'm, I'm with so many of them, these veterinarians and stuff are familiar with uh, positive reinforcement. And, you know, it's like the one woman was talking to me, it's like, you can't, you know, make a dolphin do what you want. You, you have to find a way to, and so they would have like 45 minute confabs with all these people. And basically their degrees were in psychology to come up with the plan of how they were going to create the pattern that they needed for whatever it was that this, um, you know, sea living animal was going to do. And so, you know, it's so fascinating. I guess what I'm trying to say is it was so fascinating to realize that most of the trainers were in some way psychologists because they had to understand how the mind worked in order to create the pattern, which is a, like a, more than 180 shift from what horse people, um, we don't, in the, and I grew up, you know, I've been around horse a long time. The whole psychology thing was it, you did routines. You did what your trainer told you. You did what the traditional thing was. As you say, you know, this whole idea of thinking outside of the equestrian box, uh, for most of us, it's like, no, I've got to stay in my, this is my tradition. And I think that that actually is where the horse world got caught is in the traditions, which, you know, all traditions have an upside, but then there's the, the piece of um, nostalgia where we don't really realize what was actually happening at the time. We just think of the glorification of what we thought, you know what I'm saying? Cause when you look back at old pictures, you're like, huh, <laughs> some of them are great. Some of them aren't so great. <laughs> But so many times we hang on to things that that are that um we have new information about and we just don't know. One of the things I was going to talk about today actually is horse behavior and how it relates to their motivation and how we need to understand their behavior and how their brain works in relation to their body and their emotions. Because once you know what you know, there's no going back. But a lot of times we don't have the new information that we need to kind of change the way we do things if that makes sense somebody asked how to spell shauna's name so i'm typing it in hey, hey, got it. yeah i think i got it sch yeah there we go is that it yep. um and i've actually met her i was demo writer for her for a demo she did in in maryland um it was really fun because my horse uh she likes to talk and so she was talking to the audience. And so he stood next to her waiting for her to pay attention to him. And she kept talking to the audience. So he walked away. <laughs> You're not reinforcing enough. I'm going to go find something more fun to do. <laughs> uh, it was really cute. Uh, but then when he got, you know, when we got started, it was great. But um, it was just really funny. Okay. So tell us what 
this positive reinforcement, what is it all about? How, you know, do you have a slideshow? Is that going to be an easier way or? I do. Uh, let me just finish telling you the story about the horse. So what happened? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He made a total turnaround, a complete transformation. He is the, the flagship horse for Compassionate Horse Click and Victory Land Dressage, which is my other business. Um, he, I have so many people who come to positive reinforcement training because they've met him or they've seen him. And they say, I've had people come to me and they'll say, I want what you have with that horse. Oh, wow. And what they mean by that is that this horse is always, he's, he's happy. He wants to do, he loves people. Now this was a horse afraid of his own shadow, right? He loves every horse he meets, every person he meets, he's excited about it. And he's always standing there ready. Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to do something? Do you want to just hang out? Okay. I'll hang out here and eat grass. Do you want to go do tricks? You know, he loves to go under saddle. He loves the arena. He's just happy to engage and do things. And he is so much calmer and he is so much less fearful. How old is he now? He is now 15, I think. Right. So, so you got him when he was five. I did. Mm -hmm. And then he had the surgery at what age? He had this surgery within a year of getting him less than a year. Okay. So he was about six. And so now this is nine years later. Mm-hmm. And he, but he made the turnaround like within probably 24 months of, and this is what I find that it takes about two years when people start positive reinforcement, especially if they don't know what they're doing. Um, beef when in the beginning, um, it takes about two, one to two years before people have a horse that other people will walk by and say, Oh my gosh, it looks like that horse knows English. It looks like that horse understands every single thing that you say. It looks like the two of you are reading each other's minds. So on average, I would say you're looking at about 24 months before people develop that kind of a connection if they are persistently pursuing adding positive reinforcement to their current training program. Cool. Right. So so he's just he is he is my heart horse. He is um, the ham of the farm. And we teach people on him uh, on the ground, on his back, like all kinds of things. And he was a horse that I would have never said I would have ever let anybody else sit on for fear of liability. Right. And so he's, he's just a joy to be around and it's been a huge transformation for him. But what happened through that for me is that I also started to see the world in a different way. Right. So instead of always finding the things that were wrong and the things that needed to be fixed and the things that weren't up to par, because I am a type A plus plus perfectionist by nature. Right. I started seeing what was right. And I started seeing what was good. And I started focusing on what I wanted to see more of. And I started to see the things that I thought were mistakes as what they really are, which is just truly feedback, truly neutral feedback, right? And so that really changed the way that I did things. And thanks to Rachel Bedingfield, I really started to make connections between the horse's mind and body, which I know you have Janet Jones on quite often. And she does a phenomenal job of- Tell us who this other woman is. Uh, Rachel Bedingfield. Yeah, she um, was one of my mentors when I became a connection training coach. And she uh, is Europe. Tell me if I spelled her name right. I'm looking. It's B E D D. And she's from. She's a name I haven't heard. Oh, she's in the UK. She is. Uh, she and her daughter Hannah Weston are big pioneers in positive reinforcement horse training, and they are both mentors of mine and friends of mine. And Rachel's very much into the academic side of it, and picks up and and hooking the brain to the emotion and to the behavior. And so she talks a lot about how emotions drive behavior. And so one of the big focuses of positive reinforcement training for me is that I'm always focusing on the emotional state of the horse, right? Because if the emotions aren't right, then the horse is not in a good place to learn. And it's kind of like you, if you say, 
get into a car wreck, what is your capacity to take a test and do well on it right after that car wreck? It's not good because you're over threshold, right? Because you're experiencing fear, anxiety, and things like that. And so very often in horse training, the horse is afraid. And rather than bringing it back down to a place where it can cope, we just keep pushing it on through, pushing it by the thing it's afraid of, pushing it through the lead change, just getting it rattled and all of that, instead of backing down to a place where it can actually hear us and be calm and learn, right? And so positive reinforcement, whether it's non-food or food reinforcement, gives us the opportunity to bring that horse back to a place of, of mental and emotional calmness, or at least to a place where it can learn. So one of the things that I really love about positive reinforcement is that it allows us to teach horses to love controlling their own impulses. And as you know, and I'm sure all the listeners know, horses are not great at impulse control, right? They, they run and they ask questions later. And so the powerful thing about positive reinforcement training is that we actually teach horses to love and enjoy learning, seeking, solving problems, seeking to solve problems, but also controlling their own impulses. And this makes them safer. It makes them happier and more comfortable in their own skin and makes our lives a whole lot easier, a whole lot easier. And, um, you know, I, you've mentioned a couple of times about people. I'm just, I was not putting the chat in the right place. You and I were the only ones seeing it. So I'm seeing that, um, um, you, you've mentioned that it takes time for people to, to understand it. And you've also described that in your own journey. By the way, I hope you have a picture of this horse so that we can I see. Do, I do. I do. Right. Um, I didn't want to skip by that. Um, and, but, you know, just like everything else, it can be well applied or poorly applied. And I, uh, I have, of course, as you know, I come across a lot of horses. There are some horses I've come across where I feel like it's been poorly applied in that the horse becomes um, frantic trying yes. to get the right answer. That's and right. so I'm hoping that you'll talk about, you know, like everything, where's the middle <laughs> as opposed yes. to the extremes. Absolutely. And so kind of what happened just to wind that whole story up is that this, this was a gift that was given to me. I feel like it, it transformed my life and I realized how powerful it was. And I was like, I need to be able to share this with other people. And through that, I um, founded Compassion Horsefoot, which is an online course and community, and also a coaching course. And then we also have a mastery program for people who are really looking for advanced positive reinforcement skills. But I will say, when you start this journey, don't be surprised, right? If you start this journey that every once in a while, you're going to be like, wow, I think it would be so much easier to go back to what I know how to do. Because anytime you do something new, it's uncomfortable. It doesn't mean it's wrong and it doesn't mean it won't work or anything like that. But every time we learn, we have to take ourselves out of our comfort zone, right? And so I found myself waffling sometimes between, oh, I'm being judged by these other people over here, right? And uh, maybe I should just go back to, oh my gosh, I'm so ashamed of the horse's feelings that I hurt and the, the horses that I ran over their feelings and I dishonored their spirits and things like that. So as you start to unpack positive reinforcement, I'm not going to tell you, hey, it's the silver bullet. I believe it is the silver bullet in many ways, but there's also a lot of human emotions that we have to deal with when we start peeling off the layers of how we do things now and how we could do things differently, kinder and more effectively. Well, and, and, you know, you, you bring up a really good point that um, like with Surefoot, when I started Surefoot, I had people telling me, you know, it was snake oil. They were, I was crazy. You know, this was, you know, many, many things because something different is often viewed as something wrong or something threatening, or something to be uh, avoided or negated. 
Um, and that's, it's, you know, kind of in our human nature to want to stick with what we are used to. Um, and it's not always easy to move outside the box in an area where there's peers that then look at what we're doing and go, you know, that's nuts. <laughs> um, yes. And that's why I was super excited to talk to this tribe of people today, because I feel like it takes a special person to be open to things like Surefoot and positive reinforcement. And I thought, you know what, these are our people. These are the people that we want to be talking to and, and sharing this word about. So I did put together a little bit of a slideshow so I can show you a picture of this little redheaded horse that changed my life. And also I can um, give you some tips on kind of what positive reinforcement is, what it's not, and kind of how you can get started with it if you'd like. Great. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the things that I find um, with the um, behavior modification model is that the words get really confusing, positive and negative reinforcement and punishment. Um, that, unfortunately, those are the terms that we have. But for, for, for me, and I will say for me, um, they don't necessarily give me the image of what it is because right. of the habitual connotation of the words. Right? Yes, positive but we're not going to talk about the semantics. We're not going to get into the oh, cool. hard part. I'm just going to talk to you like I was talking to my dad. Awesome. Okay. That's great because those words get really confusing. They do, and they can, for yeah. sure. All right, so I'm just going to pull my, my presentation up here. I'm going to, am I okay to share my screen? Yeah, yeah, you're all set. Okay, so I'm going to share my screen. I'm going to pick that. Then I'm going to pick this. Okay, and then I'm going to pick this. Okay, so I feel like everybody here today probably has a heart horse, or at least they dream of one. And so I'm just going to share a little bit with you about the positive, the power of positive reinforcement horse training. Okay, and so the reason that I wanted to bring this up and the reason I went through the trouble, I guess, to make to make this little slideshow for you is because I think that all equestrians, whether we're traditional or whether we're positive reinforcement or whether we're somewhere in between. And I don't think anybody is 100 percent hardly. Right. Or at least I'm going to say I'm not 100 percent because I can only speak for myself. Right. So I think all of us have these questions like what should I do? When should I do it? How do I do it? How do I stop doing it? What should I do next? And for God's sakes, how do I get from where I'm at now to where my dreams are, right? And that that doesn't matter. Like if your dreams are, you know, riding bridalists, galloping without tack, competing, winning medals, you know, uh, training tricks, or just having a really great relationship with your course. I think we all wonder at some point or another in our journey, can I do this myself? Or am I messing my horse up? And am I really, really on the right track? So I don't know if that sounds familiar to any of you guys, but I just... I wanted to go there. And I also, the very first slide, and I don't know if I can get back to it. Uh -huh. Yeah, should be able to. Uh, yeah. yeah, so this little horse, this is him. I meant to tell you, this is the star of my life, the man in my life, which my, my husband could totally understands. <laughs> this is him. So just so you guys, that is the lovely eclipse. And he is such a ham, as you can see, with his tongue sticking out there. And I'm teaching, and he's standing there for all you folks who think that positive reinforcement my horses are mouthy and pushing it in your pockets in your space. I was standing there talking for about 15 minutes with him standing there beside me bridalist that day, um, teaching. So that, that should disbunk that debunk that myth. And then I'm riding him bridalist over here on the left, which if you would have offered me a million dollars to do that, when I met him, I would have turned it down 
for fear of dying. <laughs> so there was that. All right. So I think there's a lot of myths about positive reinforcement. And I'm going to talk to you about what I consider definition kind of a positive reinforcement to be in a bit. But for the moment, we're going to debunk those myths a little bit so you understand exactly what it is not. Not bribery, not baiting. It is not training that makes your horse mouthy or pushy. And it certainly doesn't mean that you'll be carrying food and equipment around all the time forever should you decide to do positive reinforcement. It's important that you understand these things right from the outset. So what positive reinforcement really is, is the reinforcement of desired behaviors. So we provide a reward that horses value in order to create clarity and a common language between the two of us. So if they speak horse and we speak human, now we're speaking horse human English for less of a better word, okay? It allows us to do that and do it with great clarity in a way that the horses really can enjoy. So when people say it's bribery, I'm going to say, no, only if you think that receiving a paycheck for your work is bribery. Otherwise, it's very similar to you getting a paycheck at a fair wage. Okay. So baiting is trickery and baiting breeds distrust. But positive reinforcement is a fair exchange of reward of equal to the effort that is exerted. And this builds trust. Now, it has to be equal to the effort this exerted in the horse's, horse's mind, by the way. The reward has to be equal to the effort that the horse thinks he's extended to work well. But using positive reinforcement triggers natural feel-good hormones in horses' brains. And a lot of people will be like, oh, my gosh, well, I think, you know, positive reinforcement, not using punishment, not using fear takes too long. But truth and reality is, is that by triggering these feel-good hormones, such as dopamine and serotonin in the horse's brain, it actually has been shown to not only speed learning, but make learning stick faster and better than doing repetitive behaviors over and over, which is the way we've all been taught to do it without the use of reward. And by the way, release is not the same thing as reward or reinforcement. And if you go to my YouTube channel, which is Melissa Deal's Victory Land Dressage, you will see Victory Land is two words. There's a um, right near the top recently post videos. There's a video on release versus reward. And, and if you have any questions about those two things, I would definitely recommend you watch that. So I rarely actually use clickers because people think positive reinforcement clicker training. I do use them, but it's rare, except for when I'm teaching a new or challenging behavior. I like to use verbal or other markers that don't require equipment. And if you don't know what markers means, it just means that I use a click, a word, a tongue clock. I usually use a word, yes, or good, to mark a behavior that I like and to tell the horse, hey, yeah, you're on the right track. That's what I wanted. And that marker predicts a food reward, or it could just predict another kind of reward that the horse likes, like scratches or grass, or actually getting to do another behavior that they really dig. So we do use a lot of non-food rewards as well. And unlike many positive reinforcement trainers, I believe in fading the food from reliable behaviors. As the reliable behaviors become intrinsically rewarding, I fade the food out and I continue to use the food for new behaviors and more difficult criteria, but I am not one to always carry a clicker and food around with me, right? I just, I don't, I'm not that coordinated. I don't have all the, I don't have that much coordination. So I really like for horses to learn to love things and then do them without the food and to also be able to depend on a verbal reinforcer. Okay. So if you're asking, how do I add positive reinforcement to my relationship with my horse? This is really important, folks. I'm going to encourage you not to throw out the stuff you already know. 
Okay. I hear a lot of people go, oh, I don't want to give up. I got all this stuff good, good going on. Good. Keep it right. This is just a tool for you to add to your toolbox for you to blend to what you already do. If you're not ready to embrace it full on, it's okay. Right. you got a lot of stuff going on with your horse already. This positive. So keep that and just add the positive reinforcement. And just in the very beginning, start focusing on what you want to see more of. So does anybody have any questions about any of that so far? Well, I, I think you bring up a really good point. Um, you know, so many people, when they learn something new, the first thing I say is I've been doing it wrong all these years. And, you know, it's, it, I don't know if it's human nature that instead of just looking at, we were doing the best we could with what we had at the time. And when we learned something new, it's just adding. So now we have a choice, but you know, it's uh, as a riding instructor, that statement of, Oh, I've been doing it wrong. It's like, you're, you're still on your horse and you're still riding. You can only judge yourself from a perspective of knowing something different, which isn't fair. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to the horse, right? Yes. And, I'm, and I'm sure that you hear that all the time with people when they learn something like positive reinforcement and they're like, oh, I've been so cruel or so mean. And it's like, you can't judge your past from your present new knowledge. Yeah. And that's a good point. If you just focus on the positive, right? And leave the negative behind, you will go so much further, so much faster. And the real truth of the matter is, is that, the road that you've been on all throughout your life has given you gifts along the way, right? And you pick up those rocks that are the gifts and you leave the heavy, dirty rocks behind. It's like using positive reinforcement for our own uh, self uh, image, right? Is yes. to be, and that's what I love. Uh, what you're talking about is focus on the positive. I, 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 uh, I, I've told this many times, but I will ask like my pony clubbers, what do you do well when they're riding, right? They yes. riding clay. And they're like, um, uh, you know, and, and the, what do you do? I don't do this. I don't do this. You know, they have a litany of what they don't do and they can't tell me one thing they do well. True, but that's partly our fault as an industry of instructors. Oh yeah, no, I don't disagree. <laughs> yeah, we stand on the rail and we go, do this, do that, do this, do that, don't do that. Rather than teaching people to train their own horses, right? We, you can, we can all train our own horses. We have the capacity. But what we need to do is teach people to feel and understand what the horse is doing and relate that to their brain and physiology so that we can better shape their behavior. Yeah, and apply this concept to themselves. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that is what happens. That's what I've found in this group of people that I'm doing this with that are in Compassionate Horse Click. And I have, I have audio after audio where people are saying, I just had a lady do one two days ago. She just called me and I said, can I turn the recorder on? And she said, sure. And she said, I actually got into this so much that I started carrying it to my team at work. And she ah. said, one of the ladies said, I think everyone, it was so effective. She said, I think everyone should have to do horse training, positive reinforcement horse training. She said, if this made this much of a difference in this team, I feel like we all should, we all should delve into it. And I said, well, can you just tell me why she said that? Like what happened? And she said, well, you know how you're always saying, I'll be like, oh, I can't believe I messed that up. I can't believe I made this mistake. And she said, you always tell me it's not a mistake, right? It's simply information. It's feedback and you are learning. And if you never make a mistake, then you never tried to do anything new, mm -hmm. right? So you just take that feedback and you move on and use it to shape your own behavior. And she said, the other thing that she found so valuable is that because we're doing so much virtual work, 
is that she had to learn to be still and be quiet and watch and observe and feel of the horse so that she could tell what was going on with them. And that as I have taught her that she has taken that skill to her virtual workplace and it has made a world of difference in how she communicates, especially because her common language, her natural language is from a different country. So Mm -hmm. I, I was just like, wow, that's phenomenal. I mean, I was so excited for her. I really was. But so looking at this a little bit more, I just want you to think about praising the behaviors that you want to see repeated, right? And that's not only in your horse, but in yourself mm-hmm. and in and other people as well, right? Because if you embrace this way of thinking, you're going to find that it's going to bleed into all the parts of your life. It's going to overflow into it. So how, how do we do this, right? Well, the first thing we want to do is we want to look at the science of reading the horse's behavior. And I'm going to talk to you about how you can start doing that today. We also have the art of responding appropriately to the horse and kindly, but that also means effectively. It does not mean letting your horse drag you all over the place just because you're determined to be kind and positive, okay? That's not my version of positive reinforcement. I realize that it is some people's versions, okay? But it is not my version. That's certainly not what we do here. So finally, then we look at the mechanics of actually doing the training, which includes timing, presentation, and variability. And the truth of it is, is that I don't care what kind of training you do, you have to be fairly decent at these things to be successful, timing, presentation, and variability. And maybe you've never heard it called that, but I guarantee you, you're pretty dang good with these things with your horse now, no matter what kind of training you're doing, if you're successful and effective. Okay. Okay. So we, uh uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Hold on. Okay. Your slideshow took over. <laughs> what happened? Ah! Okay, hang on. There we go. All right. Shoot. Sorry. Well, okay. Wow. There's a lot of things going on there. Hold on. We'll just catch back up. Not a big deal. All right. So I just want, I want to reiterate that our relationship with our horses depend on us connecting with them, right? And so we learn to read and respond appropriately to our horses when we are being together with them rather than we than when we are doing something to them. So I think it's important that we all think about that. I think that we take for granted a lot of times that we are doing stuff to them that they don't they aren't necessarily participating in, right? They're just kind of I don't know what to say except for they're they're being they're being submissive. And we're doing it to them and they don't really have a say in it. So the more that we can give them say and the more that we can be with them instead of doing things to them and forcing things on them, the stronger our relationship with them is going to be. Okay. so to better understand our horse behavior, we're going to have to train our eye. And so what I want to encourage you to do with that is I want to encourage you to spend time with your horse with nothing else going on, no training, nothing like that. But I want you to spend enough time observing your horse that you can predict fairly well with a high degree of certainty what is a, what it's about to do, what is about to happen. Now, I would love for you to also know what's motivating that, but sometimes that's not possible because as Janet Jones points out, right, they see the world through a different filter. They smell differently. Their sense of hearing is different. Their their way they see is different. And because they don't really use their frontal lobes like we do, their filter is very different. So it's not always possible for us to know what their motivations are. But I think if we spend enough time watching them, 
to me, I can watch a horse and tell you before before it makes a move, usually what is about to happen. Now, not with 100% accuracy, right? Because they're living beings. But if you spend enough time getting to know your horse on a deeper level, then that's going to be something that's probably going to work for you, okay? So that's something you can go out to do right now today is just start observing your horse and attempting to interpret their behaviors as they relate to the horse's thoughts and emotions, okay? Things that we want to look at here are the environmental factors and also antecedents, meaning just things in the environment that might be causing them to um, behave the way that they are behaving. We want to attempt to determine the possible causes and the associated emotions that are happening when they are doing a certain behavior. We want to look for patterns in their behavior. And we want to attempt to attempt to anticipate future behaviors based on, and this is really super important right here, their expressions, their emotions, their postures, and their habits, okay? Because they tell us a lot. They're always communicating something to us if we are watching and if we are open and ready to listen. So I think that that in itself is something that we very often miss. So we want to apply this knowledge that we're gaining for, from observation and expression and breathing and postures. And we're going to start to look at their muscle tone. We're going to look deeper now in their muscle tone, their tension, their rate of chewing and all the behaviors that they do in varying context. And we're going to use it to shape our own behavior. Okay. So when I talk about spending some time, it can be different for different people. You may know your horse super well already, but what's interesting is I ask people, Hey, do you spend a lot of time with your horse? Yes. Do you know your horse super well? I do. And then I'll be like, all right, let's talk a little bit about what happened in your, in your training session today or the last time you're with your horse. And often people will say, well, they were being really bratty or they're, you know, I was just so frustrated because they are just taking advantage of me or they were doing this or they were testing me and they were doing that. And immediately I, I immediately know, okay, this horse, this person doesn't understand the horse's brain and how it relates to their emotions and how it relates to their behavior because the horses, they, they don't operate like that, right? They do what works for them in the moment. And sometimes they do what worked out for them in the past, but the way I understand it, they have a super strong memory second only to elephants and they don't see time the way we do. They don't necessarily put things in chronological order. So in other words, if somebody with a black hat scared them to death one time, whether it was on purpose or by accident, the next person with a beard and a black hat that walks up, who looks like the first person, they may have a flashback in PTSD and feel like they're reliving that moment 10 years ago. Okay. So to them, it's happening in that moment. So it's really important that we realize that, that they're not purposely trying to be, for lack of a better word, bratty or aggressive or sneaky, or dirty, or evil, or mean, or stubborn. I hate that word. People are always telling my horse is stubborn. Oh my gosh, no, they're not, right? They're just being who nature made them to be in the context and environment and situation that they're in that day. So I think the more time we spend with them and the more that we watch them, the more we're able to use the information that we glean from them to shape our own behavior, which allows us to influence them in a way that they can be more comfortable in their own skin and in this world that we are kind of forcing them to live in, right? We've created this world. So it's up to us to help them adjust and be comfortable and solid citizens. So any thoughts about that, Wendy? No, you know, it's, it, with Surefoot, the number one thing is observation. And that's something that 
for so many people that they have to quiet themselves down in order to make those observations. And for any of these things that you're talking about, it's about self-quieting so that you can be open to it. Um, but so often, you know, people get to the barn and they're coming from work. It's been a bad day. The kids were upset. They, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they walk up to their horse and then their horse um, just feedback feeds back that emotion, which we then assume is the horse um, instead of the intensity or anxiety that we take to them based on our day. And so much of uh, what we've talked about in so many of these webinars is really about uh, stopping long enough to kind of sort out what's my stuff. Yes. <laughs> so I'm not taking my stuff to you, um, to, meaning to the horse. Um, so, you know, again, it's that when we stop long enough to make these types of observations, we actually switch into a different part of our brain. Oh. Um, so that's the key to become the observer rather than to be the actor in the in the reaction, I guess, is, a way, is probably not the best way to say it. No, um, you're absolutely right. I actually have a training on that particular thing on like how to get in the right head space and heart space to even be able to start to connect with your horse and right. do the observing. And so, um, Diane is saying, uh, my work colleagues think it's a hoot when I tell them I use horse and dog training, positive reinforcement in dealing with interactions with all the staff, especially right. the problem children. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's exciting too, because I'm glad to know that, that I'm not the only crazy person, right? No, we're all crazy actually. <laughs> well, you know, and so, I'm, so when we do this, if you, if we don't do this part here, right, if we don't do the, the understanding of what is happening with our horse and at least knowing what our horse likes and doesn't like and how our horse reacts and responds in different situations, I could give you, and I'll be honest, I missed the boat, right? When I made my first positive reinforcement horse training course, I missed the boat because I took for granted that it was very natural for everybody to be able to read horses very easily. And I, I forgot that a lot of people board horses and treat them a little bit like bikes. And I'm, I don't mean this critically, but when you board a horse, it's different, right? You don't get the opportunity sometimes because of the barn owner schedule and the arena schedule and all that stuff to spend the time with them that you do when you have your own place. And so I missed the boat because I didn't put enough emphasis on teaching people to read horse behavior and tune into the horse's emotions. And so that's why I'm putting so much emphasis on it now is because I can give you all the skills and all the techniques I want to. But if you can't do this piece right here, right. none of the rest of that stuff's going to work for you because you're going to get what Wendy talked about earlier, which is horses that get anxious around the food and the training instead of horses that get happier around it. Yep. Absolutely. So that I think is what we have to do before we can start to shape our own behavior so that we can shape our horse's behavior. So if we think about what behaviors and emotions we can readily recognize in our horses, I'm going to show you some um, slides in a minute. If we have time, do we have a little bit more time? Yep, we're good. I'm going to show you a few slides in a minute and we're going to identify some emotions through some expressions and stuff like that. But I did kind of just want to make sure that you understand that this type of training doesn't require fear, it doesn't require force, and it doesn't require threat of punishment, right? It is really a simple method of kind effective training that can be done by anybody. It can be done by you. It, can, it is done by children all the time. Jessica Gonzalez has a whole herd of children that she teaches to do this. It can be done by, I have so many elderly ladies that just love their horses and they, they either can't ride 
in a rowdy way, right? Or they don't ride at all. And they, they just do all kinds of fun things with their horses and it allows them to kind of do it very late into their life. So this kind of thing has proven to be life-changing for all of these people. And it can be for you and your horse too, right? So I just wanted to make sure that we talked about that before we go into really looking at these behaviors. So I want you to think about as you observe your horse, because this is going to kind of be, if you want to go out and try to start playing with some of this today, you're going to do some observation and you're going to think about when you see these behaviors that your horses do and when, what context they're doing them in. And then if they're with you and you're involved in that context, what do you do, right? Do you wait? Do you listen? Do you learn? Or do you get reactionary, right? Or do you respond thoughtfully? So, so those are things that we want to think about as we start to observe and interpret horse behavior. And we want to think about less being more, right? So what Wendy just talked about a minute ago, the less we do, sometimes the more we're able to understand and the more we're able to connect with our horses. So just wanted to kind of bring that to the forefront. All right. So play is one of the things that we use as reinforcers and positive reinforcement. Some horses really, really enjoy play. And so for my particular horse, he loves to run beside me up and down the fence line. He loves to fetch. There's, he loves to kiss and he loves to grab sticks and stuff. He just all kinds of things and smile. But here's a really cute example of horses playing. Is it, you know what I like the best about this video is it's two horses playing, not a human playing with a horse. Exactly. <laughs> and he, he loves to do this. Like this is one of our compassionate horse click members and uh, one of one of our mastery students actually in her two horses. So it just goes to show you that they enjoy things sometimes that we wouldn't even dream of them enjoying. And it shows that their filter is so much different than ours. And what we might think is reinforcing to one <laughs> might not be reinforcing to another, but clearly these two like the water. So that's just, uh, all right. So that's just an example of one thing that we can use as reinforcement is play. If I can get to the next slide. So this is a, this was a young horse, a kangaroo who are super troubled, really afraid, didn't like humans, lay his ears back, gnash his teeth, kick you, um, couldn't touch him with a brush, couldn't touch, touch him with a water hose, couldn't get near him with a stick or a whip. But he seriously enjoys running and playing. And this was one of his favorite things to do. And he became quite the fetcher. So he would just go find these limbs laying in the field and just take them and play and play and play and run and run and run with them. So that was pretty hilarious. All right. So what we want to do as we're observing um, is we want to think about how the horse's expression. So you just saw two horses that were that were playing, that were fairly um, much enjoying themselves and things like this. And I actually got permission to use this particular uh, graphic from Diane Howard, who is um, a friend of mine, and she is over in Europe and does a lot of research. And so if you have a chance to look this up, right, this is the development of the horse grimace scale, right? And it was meant to be a pain assessment tool and horses undergoing castration is what they actually, where they got the pictures from. But if you have a chance to look it up, do that. But the reason I threw it up here, and I know you can't see the detail, is just to say to you, there are many, many nuances in facial expression, and they can mean different things in different contexts, right? 
So I have people who are like, oh, that horse just yawned, right? He must have, he must be releasing stress or he must have just gone undergone something stressful. And I'm like, or it's 2 a.m. and we just came in here to check on a colic and we turned the lights on and maybe he's sleeping. <laughs> so you, you have to take into context, like whatever the horse is doing, you have to take the context into consideration before we start labeling a particular expression. And that's where knowing the horse well comes in because if we've seen them time after time in different contexts, we have a better idea of what they're actually feeling and what hormones are actually being released and what is actually happening in their brain by the time we see it in their body, right? So you can see the gamut here, and these are kind of um, unpleasant expressions, grumpy, aggressive, sassy, ambivalent, you know, un uncooperative, or even dangerous ones, right? Um, so because we may see things that look like that, but it might not actually be that just because we don't know them well. But the point is, is that anytime that a horse gives us one of these expressions, the first thing that we should be trying to do is um, rule out pain or identify pain before we go saying, oh, we've got a behavior problem because pain very often can be the cause of some of some expressions that we would prefer not to see. So I just was fascinated by this and all these different, uh, that there, all these different um, expressions have been documented. Yeah, there's a lot of work going on. I know um, Sue Dyson is doing a lot of work on that as well. Yeah, and I think I think um, that Diane is actually working with Sue. Okay. So, so I was super happy that they let us use this. This is another example. This is actually one of the compassionate horse plate members took this picture, um, a horse that was going through some lameness pain. And she was noting the eye and the expression of the horse. And, and if I didn't know this horse, I wouldn't necessarily know that. So I just wanted to say like, hey, Look at the context. Like I wouldn't know this horse was in pain, but she took this picture because she said it was so obvious to me that the horse was in pain. So I thought that was that was fascinating. Almost slides not moving. There we go. Okay, so this is an interesting one. I'm just gonna play it and, and let you guys mull it over for a minute, and then I'll tell you what's actually happening. So there's lots of stuff that just happened in this video, okay? So what I happen to know is that A, this is a young horse. B, that he just learned Liberty Lunge with only one person. This is not his person. That the person has been giving him a super high rate of reinforcement because they had just gotten him to trot. And for a long time, he would not trot. He came to the horse, the person as a rescue, um, underweight, you know, starved, painful feet, all benign, right? So getting this horse to trot at Liberty took a lot of, motivation and some high value food rewards and things. So this horse is used to a high rate of reinforcement at this point um, and the short trot stints. This is a brand new person, doesn't know horses, entered the scene, never touched a horse before in his life, got some instructions and they took this video. So to the horse's credit, he did great changing handlers, responding to cues from a completely different person. Now, what you saw was you saw the head twist, you saw the teeth bared, you saw the ears back, you saw that what you were seeing, in my opinion, was some frustration here because the horse was like, hey, I should have been fed like five strides ago, <laughs> you know, or whatever. So, again, it's, it's an interesting thing, because if you don't know the context of this, you, you wouldn't understand what is happening. But I have to give a lot of credit to both the horse and the guy, because neither one of them's ever done this together. 
and they did a fantastic job. But there was some frustration going on there with the horse. He was a little bit. Confused. You bring up such a good point with this video. Uh, many points. Um, one is that if you don't know the context, and so many people look at a photo or a video clip without any context around it and make a snap judgment. And it's, um, I guess it's kind of human nature. And, you know, the place where you see this, I always say Facebook gives you all the advice you never asked for. <laughs> um, because so many people will see a picture on Facebook, make a snap judgment without any context as to why, what, when, where, how, and then post their emotional uh, reaction to it, which in many ways is derogatory, right? In many ways, it's judgmental. Um, and the, the other piece that you bring up is also that we sometimes see people working with horses that where we are told that the behavior is happy, but we see expressions like this, which clearly we resonate with frustration or some, something not right. And yet we're told that that is happy. And so then we have incongruence. It's, it's not in agreement. And so what are we supposed to believe? The clinician that's telling us, oh, this is all okay and fine? Or our gut feeling of there's something not right in this picture? Yeah, I think we have to go with our gut. I do too. Um, I think we have to go with our gut, but I think we have to be careful because as an industry, we are taught very early age to judge rather than to yeah. really connect with our heart and our spirit to the horse's energy. Right. And so I think if, as long as we're coming from a place of uh, congruency and a place of true authenticity, I think we're okay. But I think if we have to be careful to sort out that we're not using some, some arbitrary scale that's been given to us by the rest of the humans that we know. <laughs> yeah. we Someone asked you to play the video again. And I think that would be great given now that we know this guy has never worked with this horse. He's not a horse person. It's a rescue horse that's used to a different person. Um, and does that change those of you watching, does that change how you perceive what's going on here? Well, that's a super good point, but this horse has done a lot of food restriction and stuff. So the fact that he was so patient with the sky. Yeah. Cause, and the other thing is, you know, that to me, he doesn't really know that the messages the horse is sending are things he might be concerned about, should be concerned about. I have right? no idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm getting. I'm like, wow, he like ignored all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that is really true. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about that, right? I hadn't even, but it shows you that, that the power of positive reinforcement, you know, that, that we are able to create horses that can be calm and patient, even in, the, in a situation like this that causes duress, right? That they can still be alert and engaged even though things really aren't going the way that they're used to them going or the way that they should be, I believe that we build in a lot of resilience by rewarding rather than, than punishing. I really do. I really do. Now, I think who would not want a horse that like this, right? That would, that would have that kind of resilience in the face of a different circumstance like this. Especially given the background. Yeah. I'm having trouble finding my mouth. Sorry. Here we go. It's okay. There we go. Okay. So now this is an interesting one. If you didn't see the labels, what would you think? Yeah, again, it's one of those in, in context. Um, My first thought, if I didn't see the labels, and I've actually got it blocked out, so I'm looking at it without the labels. 
But just seeing that horse, my first thought that this horse is shut down, right? That's my first thought. But actually, and I know the trainer well, she's one of my mastery students. She said, this horse is frustrated. He was feeling like that. And she, she admits this fully. She set up a pattern, right? Where she was doing the same thing the same way every single day and did not fade the food or move her criteria up. And she created a horse that had an expectation, right? That he should get fed right here. And she didn't do it. And she said, this is the face of, I'm mad. I didn't get my food. <laughs> Basically, that you've given me every single day for 352 days this year in exactly the same context. And today you didn't. And this is the face that she got. So that, that was kind of funny, I thought. And better this face than, than uh, you know, teeth and heels and things like that. Uh, that yeah, because it, what's interesting about this face is how soft the muzzle is. The ears are back. But, you know, when I looked at the eyes, I was like, is the, it's almost like the sun's really bright. Yeah, it's uh, um, there's mixed message in this face. Yeah. And I think there is sun bright, too. I think you're very right there. Right. And I, I think this was a horse to me that looks like I'm waiting. I might not be thrilled with the fact that I'm waiting. But versus what you see very often at the gate with a traditionally trained horse, which is heels up and and teeth bared and, you know, kicking at the gate and stuff like this. I'd choose this every day. Oh, yeah personally, you know, so there's that. All right. Now this is a little hilarious. Um, is the map, what is wrong with them? I feel like maybe my battery dying. That would be funny on a day. Uh -oh. like this. <laughs> I know. There we go. Let's see. Come on. Come on. Come on. There we go. Okay. Now this horse is frustrated, but I want you to understand that a lot of these emotions that people complain about with positive reinforcement, they don't just happen with positive reinforcement training. They happen in life. Right. And I just want you to see so that you see the emotions on this horse and understand this horse is frustrated. Nothing to do with humans. It's also very committed. Yes. Oh, he tore up so much stuff when he lived with us. Oh my gosh. This horse would tear up everything. Iron anvil. So he's super food motivated. He, he got out, right? He's always tearing stuff down, breaking things. I've got probably three or $4,000 worth of damage when he was bored. Not that he's bad. He's not bad. Super smart. He was uh, injured, so he couldn't be worked or anything. And he was always into something. And one of the things he did was, was tear a gate down and get out and open up this trunk full of those treats. But what I want you to see there, I'll see if I can rewind it, is that he took his frustration out. Uh-oh. No. No, right. there we go. He took his frustration out on this other horse. Look at this. Yeah, I was going to it was at the end. Yeah, and unfortunately, we didn't quite catch that whole thing in the video. But Yeah, because you see the other horse having to really move fast. Yeah, and he's on the other side of this fence. So he was like, hey, this, this guy means it. it. Just happened to be that my assistant walked up, you know, and intervened in all of this and grabbed this video. But But I just wanted to say, you know what? All of these emotions, they're not necessarily related to training. They happen in life, right? And so when people have a positive reinforcement trained horse and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know whether to let him drag me out into the middle of the road and get hit by a car or pull on the road because I don't want to put pressure on him. I have to say, you know what? We have to, we have to not throw the baby out with the bathwater here and use a lot of common sense, right? We have to keep the horse safe because we're the steward of the horse. Now, ideally, the horse has been trained to give to the halter, with positive reinforcement and he gets to it and he comes along. But if he's super scared and over threshold and that doesn't be the case, then we have to do whatever we have to do to keep the horse safe. Cause he's gonna run into frustration. He's gonna run into fear. He's gonna run into all of those things, whether the whole human is involved or not. Okay. 
So here's another one, right? So this, this is talking a little bit about reading the horse's expression. You see the tint in his eye. He's having some anxiety here. Somebody's taking his best friend that he lives with all the time away. And so you're seeing um, the crease in the upper eyelid, a little more of the sclera is exposed. And so he is showing you some anxiety. But a lot of people miss this, this tint. And like Wendy said a while ago, muzzles are really important to look at, right? Because if they, a soft muzzle means one thing, a hard muzzle means another thing, a protruding chin means something. I have one horse that when he gets stressed, the red horse, right? The red horse that's my horse eclipse. When he gets stressed, the sign that you see more often than not, and you might not see anything else, is he'll get a wrinkle right here, one wrinkle. And that's your sign. Hey, you know what? He, he's worried. That's your sign. And that's all you get. This horse um, is an upper-level dressage horse that belongs to Ulrika Berzal from um, the Know-It-All Entrepreneur Show. And he has just seen like alpacas for the first time. <laughs> so so this is your freeze response and he is um honed in on those alpacas and remember that freeze comes generally before flea okay so i just want to bring this up i know you can't see the detail and I, and um that was kind of on purpose because this is not our it's not our graphic and we did get permission from raquel drosman to use it but the point was to say that insecurity and fear may lead to calming signals displacement signals stress distances distancing freeze fight or flight and she has done a lovely job and you can download this on her um website for free it's the communication ladder and it kind of shows you the order that things happen so like for example um here's a calming signal that goes to a displacement signal that escalates to something else to something else and so if you have a chance to look that up that's definitely worth a good a good um review and i wanted to show you these pictures because again context is important this looks like this gal is having a fun time galloping through the woods. Yes. Yes. Maybe. Maybe. Is it's a little, it's a little small. Yeah. But the, oh, sorry. Well, that child's actually being run away with right now. Yeah. That's what I say. It's a little small to tell what really is happening in there. Yeah. But, but if you just saw it, you'd be like, well, that looks like fun. Right. Mm -hmm. But that was a picture caught in a deer camera at our place. And she had had a towel rolled up underneath her saddle pad and it fell out. Right. And and um, she was half asleep talking on her phone and stuff and didn't wasn't really paying attention. And the horse took off. So there's that. We have that no phone rule in our farm now. But um, so then we have this horse who is clearly displeased. Right. And then we have this horse. And that's a different story here. Right. There's a lot of things could be happening. Is he resting? Is he sleeping? Is he processing? Is he thinking? Is he a little put out? I don't know the answer to that, but I did think it was an interesting um, picture to look at. And if you knew the horse and you knew the context, we would know more. I do know these two horses in the context. Right. But that communication ladder can be really helpful at discerning um, behavior, right? So to talk just a little bit more about calming signals, in case you don't know what they are, calming signals are signals that horses produce to basically say, I don't want to do conflict, or I'd like to calm you down, or I'd like to calm myself down right? They use them for several different reasons. But the main thing is that the calming signal, the idea of it is to help them discharge tension, to allow them to get through a difficult situation while they leave social relationships intact. As you know, herd animals are very, very social. And so they want to give a signal to say, hey, you know what? I am not being aggressive here. And 
I would like to, to have peace. Right. And I would like to not get in a big fight and kill this relationship off. And I think we as humans could learn a lot about that actually. Right. It is a function. The calming signals function to appease. Right. And show a desire to get along. So again, talking about the communication ladder, you know, we start to ask, is the horse displaying a certain behavior? And we look at the entire body face, breathing, relaxation, tension, degree of severity. We look at the stimulus or stimuli or situation or context that could be causing it. If the horse is tense, we try to decide is the tension subsiding? Is it rising or is it being maintained? And if it's not subsiding, how can you help your horse? And this is where positive reinforcement comes in because if we can read the horse, we can redirect that emotion and therefore change the behavior before it becomes uncomfortable for the horse or the human. And if we have a horse with a background in positive reinforcement, we already have laid the groundwork for them to produce their own impulse control so that we can have comfort and we can have a plan for positive experiences in the future. So again, Raquel Dreisman, in case you wonder how to spell that, you can look up her website and see that communication ladder. Okay. So this is just one, one kind of tying all this up that it's important to evaluate the horse, the whole horse and the context surrounding the behavior. There's a couple more. We'll get through this real quickly. I know you guys got to go, but um, we talk about threshold and when horses are over threshold, they're experiencing anxiety. Um, they might be experiencing fear or distress. And we talk, we use the terms threshold at threshold and over threshold to describe an emotional state, right? And so what we need to do is we need to understand that horses don't always show signs of fear. They don't always show signs of anxiety as a prey animal. It behooves them to hide those things in the wild. And so very often we don't see that stuff until the hormonal cascade is just over the top inside and they're kind of going crazy on the inside, but not showing it on the outside, right? And so ideally for all training of all disciplines and types, horses learn better and the learning sticks and lasts longer and is more effective if we can keep them under threshold during training. Any thoughts about that, Wendy? Well, this is, you know, what, there, there are different models that talk about what, you, you know, how much arousal you need for learning. And just from having done Surefoot for so long, what I find is that most people don't read that their horse is already over threshold because they, because it's so subtle. I mean, horses can be over threshold. And I had a horse at an expo who did not change his stance, his eye or anything, but his heart rate went from 40 to 160 when I walked to his hind foot. And the only way we knew it was he had a heart monitor on him. Oh, right? wow. So horses can, can, you know, their heart rate can jump up that fast um, as a flight animal without, and he had zero external change in expression. I mean, it was amazing. Um, so the, the whole idea of thinking that the horse is okay and that we can push them without really figuring out, you know, what, what is there, what is their actually calm state? Is this really a calm state? And I think this is where Surefoot comes in so handy because it, it helps us see horses come, come down. It helps horses come down, right. Oh, to right. calm down and to relax. And that horses can look literally sound asleep, standing on a pad and go out and do a canter transition that our understanding of readiness and availability is not the same as a horse. They can go from zero to 90, right. In, in a heartbeat 
as a flight animal. Um, but we so often misread that where that threshold is. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I agree. And that's why it's so important to notice the nuances, because by the time the subtle nuance gets to the point where we can see it with the naked eye, there's already a lot more stuff happening. Right. And, and until we really see our horse at true rest, not at just standing still, and there's a huge difference, yes. Yes. Um, until we see what that horse looks like in true rest, and, and um, then we don't know where they are on the scale. We just don't. Our I agree. Are, and I think one of the good things about Surefoot is I do an exercise with riders where I have them tap one stirrup, tap the other stirrup, tap one stirrup, tap the other stirrup to get them in their body. Right. And I think Surefoot does that same thing for the horse. Like, I feel like it gets them grounded and centered Absolutely. and, and, yeah. and more body aware. Well, and, and it, what you can see in horses of, you know, if it's a shutdown horse, you're going to see that if it's a excitable horse, you're going to see that not that Surefoot's going to solve all this. Right. I'm not saying that, but it, it provides a framework to determine is my horse under threshold uh, at threshold above threshold. I mean, there are some horses that I've seen that literally can't do the pads. Well, they're so far over. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I can see that. Right. Um, yeah. But, but the subtle, so the easy thing is the really chilled out horse and the really anxious horse, right? The, 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 the ends of the scale, like judging a class, that's easy. It's, it's in this subtle nuanced middle where horses that's the way they've been. So you think that that's okay, but they're really not. They're either on a shutdown oh, yeah. or a hyper freeze or a hypo freeze. And you don't know that because that seems to be their normal. They're normal. Yes, absolutely. Because that's because that's where they're used to living, but they right. actually can live in a very different, more comfortable place. And again, we, you know, we see that same thing in humans all the time. Um, that's where in humans, we're using heart rate variation, the whole heart coherence and heart map and all that sort of stuff to, to help by using biofeedback to recognize where, where we really are. Um, we have been less successful so far in the research using HVR with horses. I think partly because their heart rate is, is, um, is much more, um, what's the word? accelerate it can accelerate so much in such a different way i mean if you've ever sat on a horse that saw something and didn't move you know what i'm talking about you can feel the heart rate instantly accelerate up to some crazy number um but they never moved right and then as they realize everything's like my i can so remember my little quarter horse when he saw fox hunting for the first time and he stood perfectly still and his heart had to be at like 120. <laughs> Wow. You know, and then it came back down as we just stood there and he watched. He was like, okay, I don't have to do an action here. I can just observe. And he, he's a, he was a super guy. Um, Unfortunately for you, you didn't try to push him through that and teach him to whirl and no, roll. We just sat there. And, <laughs> we just watched that. And they were quite far away. It was far enough away that he could just stand there. But, but my point being that we're still working out in horses a way to easily determine. So when I was at Guelph at the International Society for Equitation Science in 2019, they had looked at cortisol levels, they had looked at heart rate and heart rate variation, and none of those proved to be reliable, good indicators of stress wow. in horses. So because, you know, to collect cortisol, you had to use a lick, blah, 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 you know. Um, but what they did talk about, and the thing that I find really curious because I see it so much with Surefoot is eye blinks. Mm. That eye blinks are a good indicator of, of lower stress. 
right? That a fixed eye is an indicator of higher stress. Um, and, you know, given that we see, and I'm sure you see this too, um, the really deep, slow eye blinks when they're on the pads, that that's a good indicator of coming down. But then yes, what we find is, you know, then those horses are so available. Um, that's really true. I, I have gotten some video on that, but I haven't added it to any of the presentations and that that's a really good point. Yeah. So, you know, we're still working on and trying to, to um, come up with good parameters like the facial expressions of how, how can we assess my horse's state of mind, right? How can we assess his emotional state and his mental state by looking at the signs that they show us? And um, I, I know that the research is gonna continue because you know, if, I, if it does prove out that eye blinks are really the best thing, that's an easy thing for people to observe. It is. Thank you for um, bringing that to my attention because I had forgotten about that. Yeah. And those, and a lot of other things, like it's like looking at these horses here out of context, we could come up with a story like the horse on the left is anxious. He's got a little tent over his That is correct. That is yeah. correct. Um, the but he could also middle, be I just heard like a siren or something like that. Yeah. Right. And um, so he's in a bit of a freeze. Yeah. And I, I can't remember the deal with the horse on the right. Right. And so that horse, you know, is he, it looks like his nose is resting. Could he be sleepy? Could he be just chilly? Is that his? So, you know, I keep coming back to which you brought, pointed out so well is taking it in context, looking at knowing the sort of the story around it, like the guy with the horse that was trotting when we know the story around it, it's easier to assess what's going on in that picture that a snapshot in time. But the other thing that's important too, is that if we don't know these signs, very often, no matter whether we're using food reinforcers or not, in traditional training, people are all training, people are very often accidentally rewarding something that they don't mean to and creating a bad habit inadvertently. Yes. Right? So that's why another reason why it's so important for us to know the signs Absolutely. for our particular horse and, and what they mean. And that's have a couple more signs here and we'll, we'll call it a day. Yeah. But no, it's, it's so true. It's, I think that that in our industry, the, the, the thing that is most important is helping people under see these things observe these things so that they're not surprised when the horse does something because they've already seen that it's going to happen exactly exactly yeah. that, that really was what i missed my whole that was my my shortcoming when i started teaching this method and when i started creating courses is that i took for granted that everybody was going to read the horse like i was yeah and the <laughs> matter is they just didn't hadn't put the time in and that's all it takes that's all it takes is time and, and wanting to understand what behavior means and what's about to happen next. And so a friend of mine, Trudy Overly, um, I believe Trudy's in Norway, and I cannot remember for the life of me, her school and course's name, but she's brilliant, a brilliant behavior, some positive reinforcement trainer. And she brings the, the very good point off when she says, you know, the seeking system um, can actually put a horse over threshold. And, and get the horse can get him, him his own self over threshold. He can get so excited, like you talked about earlier, right? That he can put himself over threshold and actually get himself where he gets easily scared. So the hormonal profile, and I can't get all into this today. It's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, 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 but the whole hormonal profile of excitement and arousal is on a very ragged edge where you just flip over into anxiety. 
right? Yeah. And so we have to be super careful when we have a horse that's a little bit scared or say a little bit excited, say there's horses running beside him in the field and he's a little bit excited. It doesn't take much to flip him over to a spook because now he's too anxiety, right? And so I think that's one of the things that we have to think about when we're training traditionally or in um, a context that gets the horse excited or with any kind of food or anything is that we want to make sure that we understand the seeking system of the horse and the hormonal cascade that comes with those things. This is a really quick fun one, right? So this is where my assistant walked up on this horse. <sighs> it was quite a party. This is the same day as the horse that you saw earlier with the frustration. Oh. He got out and just, he just turned everything over. It was enrichment. What can I say? Uh. And luckily he never was able to open anything. Yeah. Um, but it just shows you like they have so much more personality than we give them credit for. And they really do have a different idea of what's reinforcing. And for him, it was to get out and turn everything over that day. He just thought that was a blast. And he's just yep. helping himself today. Oh, and he did. He found his reward. He found his. <laughs> Fortunately, yes. He, he got rewarded with food too, right? So, so that was hilarious. Um, okay. So, so this is one more. And here's context, right? Check this horse out and tell me what you think is happening. Any ideas? Um. It seems as though he's looking back toward the person with the camera. So maybe he's just uh, paying attention to the person that's holding the camera. That's a fantastic guess. But if I would have put a little bit more of the video on here, what's about to happen? He looks at me. He looks out there. He looks back at me. He looks out there. He's trying to tell me, let me out. I want to go out to the big back 40 and graze on my own. <laughs> But see how you wouldn't know, right? If you didn't right. know him, you wouldn't know. But he's very clear this. This is my red horse. And he's very clear. He, everybody understands him. It's not just me. He's super expressive. This is what I want. So we're going to wind this up by saying that training ourselves is the answer to all of our horse relationship and training challenges, right? Focusing on our own ability to read our horse's behavior and respond appropriately is the most important thing, right? And then we can talk about mastering our mechanics, our timing, our presentation, and our variability in marking the horse's behavior and presenting rewards, which creates happy horses and humans. But until we have that behavior interpretation piece down, we really need to hang on before we start actually training with positive reinforcement because horses respond to every one of our behaviors and, and they pick up on our patterns so much more frequently and easily than even we do. So every interaction that we have with them counts, whether we're using food or whether we're not, it doesn't matter. They're watching us, right? And they are responding to every situation that they find themselves in and every one of our behaviors. So it's super important that we shape our behavior so that we are positively influencing all of the horses and all of the humans around us. Okay, so I'm going to recap. If you want to do this today, here's what I would recommend, right? Spend time observing your horse's behaviors and expressions. Study scientific documentation and equine behavior. And we've given you quite a few resources. Um, and, and you can always check out the CompassionateHorseClick.com website. There's lots of good stuff in the blog there for free. Um, see your horse as your teacher. Recognize the feedback that the horse provides and figure out what it is that they find reinforcing. 
then decide what you want to see more of. And that's just you write these things down, right? Take the take-home points that when you're doing this list and write this stuff down. Decide what you want to see more of from your horse and from yourself when you're with your horse. And then find experienced mentors and coaching and courses and, and keep trying things that are on the fringe that will hopefully have a, a good chance of making your horse's life happier and improving its welfare and well-being like the surefoot pads and positive reinforcement. And most important, I want you to trust yourself and enjoy the process. So as long as we educate ourselves before we try to influence our horses, we're on the right track. All right. And so finally, the success of all training and relationships depends on one thing, and that is our ability to read living beings and respond appropriately. And by appropriately, I mean with kindness and with compassion, but also by being effective. And our relationships with our horse depend on these things. And that is all I have for you today as far as the slideshow goes. Awesome. So, um, yeah, just go ahead and unshare your screen and we'll, um, we'll wrap this up. I, you know, Melissa, uh, we, we only met for a very short period of time. So it wasn't like, uh, and that was two, that was pre pandemic and, you know, um, <laughs> feels like a million years ago now, but it's really neat to, to, to listen to you because we never really talked much about what you do. Um, that's because I was so fascinated with what you do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, but you know, it, it's what I love about all of my guests is we keep coming back to these same themes of, um, the, the observation and the calming and, um, look, looking for alternatives to the, sim, to the, to the way that so much of us, you know, has been done in the past. And it, this really was a terrific talk. And, um, and, and somebody at Pablo is saying, this will help me a lot on my internship. He's, uh, down in Brazil. Um, so we get people from all over and it just keeps reinforcing that idea that we are the one in command of ourselves and until and unless we take command of ourselves to be able to be in that position of um, stability and grounded mentorship to our horses, we can't help them. It's really, it's so much about uh, us, not as a, it was really interesting. I don't know if you know Sarah's Sarah Schlote, um, I had her on and she was making the point that horses are not a mirror of us, but they are an expression of our behavior. I agree with that. Yeah. And um, so this is terrific because I think the more we learn to observe, the better horse be partner will we be for our horses. I agree. And I, just, I appreciate you having me so much. I just got excited talking about it myself. So I'm all inspired <laughs> and I can't wait to go try some surefoot pads. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me and thank you everybody for joining me. And um, I'm not sure is next month is September, right? We're into September. Wow. So you are my last guest for a while. We're taking a break uh, until October because I'm heading out on safari in September. I've got two groups going on horseback safari. And so I've got to get organized for that. So we're going to take a little break from webinars and we will be back in October. And of course, we will send out an email to anyone who's on the list. If you want to join the list, go to murdochmethod.com and sign up for our email newsletter and you'll be notified when we're going to um, have more webinars. And in the meantime, I hope everybody has a fantastic time and go out and observe your horse. Make Absolutely. some notes. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take Thanks, care. Bye-bye.